So I'm going to just jump into Dan. Okay. So I was thinking about how long I've known you. And it's been about, I think, four or five years. And you know, I've interviewed over a thousand leaders, worked with hundreds. And I find only a small minority of the folks that I've spoken to take culture as seriously as you do. I've seen it firsthand. I see how much you care about value activations on a daily basis. And um, you didn't have this question. We haven't discussed this. So I'm just going to surprise you. Uh, what was the most inspirational moment in your life that led you to become the leader that you are that gives this level of energy and focus on culture? Yeah, I think for me, it starts with, um, there's a couple of key people, but I had a, a leader and a vice president of HR um, that I had become a regional director. I had six hotels in New York, New Jersey, and Virginia, and I, I thought that I knew everything that there was to know about um, hotels and hospitality and human resources. And, and when I started um, with a new company, I realized that those were just the rules to the game. It wasn't how you win the game. And how you win the game is through culture. Um, and it was so it was a huge wake up, very inspirational for me um, to to understand that the culture is the difference. And in most companies will put the energy and focus and the design and the the front side and the guest facing stuff. But the really great companies put that same level of energy and focus onto the employee experience. Um, and so I think that was probably the most inspirational for me is getting started saying, wow, this doesn't have to be transactional. This can really be um, inspirational. Yeah. What is that expression that culture eats strategy for breakfast? Yes. And, and ultimately, when we say the word culture, really what we mean is that's the people within the organization. It's, it's about them. It's how they feel, how they engage. There are hundreds and thousands of ways to describe it, but ultimately it's about the people. And then what I'm curious about it, You've seen this arc of innovation in culture, specifically within hospitality. And you've been on the front lines of that innovation a number of times. And I know we're going to talk about where we are now and what you see in the future. But where I want to begin just for a moment is the past. What are some of the key innovations that you were in the front lines to observe in hospitality? Well, I feel very fortunate that Fairly early in my career, I worked with um, Ian Traeger Hotels and Morgan's Hotel Group, and um, Ian and Steve were really credited with reinventing the hotel industry and um, and inventing the boutique hotel concept. Um, And so when I was with Morgan's Hotel Group, there was literally every major hotel company in the world was working on a boutique brand. Um, to try and compete with um, with what we were doing. So um, it was kind of all eyes on us to, to really explore what that meant. Isn't that where the term boutique hotels came from? It, it is. It was actually um, an interview with Ian Schrager and Steve Rebell when they were um, opening Morgan's Hotel Group. They kind of used the expression that if you go to Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton, it's like shopping at Saks Fifth Avenue. But if you went to one of their hotels, it would be like going to Madison Avenue to all the little boutiques. And so you could say that they had a boutique hotel. And and, um, so the next day in the New York Times, front page, Studio 54 founders open first boutique hotel. Fascinating. So we talked about kind of two waves that you were a part of. 
within the innovation and the hospitality. And of course, all of them having direct impact on the culture that that creates. What's what's next? What is the next wave as you see it? Well, I joined Make Ready Hotels because I, I believe that we're on the forefront of doing something yet again. And, you know, our approach is, is really being thoughtfully indigenous. And, you know, people don't want to go from New York to Miami and then stay in a New York hotel. They want to go from New York to Miami and stay in a Miami hotel. And I think where a lot of the big companies are missing the boat of really tapping into the local community. And so every one of our hotels is really designed around the city that it's in. And it's designed to reflect the historical nature. If it's, a, if it's an existing building, we really tap into um, you know, the Adolphus Hotel in, in Dallas. Um, you know, celebrates, a, it's going to be 110 years old this month. And, um, and so when you look into every phase of it, um, you know, the, the coffee shop is called Otto's because Otto was the general manager who put um, the Adolphus Hotel on the map back 110 years ago. Um, when you look at the restaurant called City Hall, it's because with the design of, of Dallas that um, where that building sits is where the original City Hall was slated to. So every one of our hotels have that level of kind of thoughtfully indigenous, you know, to the hotel. And I think it's something that we, you know, do better than perhaps anyone else out there of really tapping into the, the local um, culture. So when you visit the Emmeline Hotel in, in Charleston, you feel like you're getting the quintessential welcome to Charleston in, in everything that it has to offer. And that's where I want to take us, because when I think about any multi-location business, franchise or other types of businesses, including hospitality, you think about identical experiences being the mark. So you always know right what to expect. And uh, perhaps that's still the case to some degree. And as you think about making it this hyper local, uh, the building purchase and the names are a good start. So how do we think about creating a culture? How do we think about the people that are going to work in this um, in this location that could deliver the experience that matches that hyper local focus. Yeah, I think f- for us, it's really tapping into the guiding principles, and that those are going to be consistent in every make ready experience, whether it's one of our food and beverage or retail or hotel experiences. That it's going to be thoughtful, it's going to be light. You know, it's it's we're going to put people over process, and so. When you talk about creating culture, for me, it's really, you know, whether it's core values or guiding principles, it's those are the expectations that you're going to expect from every make-ready experience. So whether you're at the Noel in Nashville or you're at the Halcyon in Denver, you know that it's going to be thoughtful. You know that it's going to be light. You know that they're going to put people over process. Um, And so I think that's really, you know, for me, Brand is about the way that something makes you feel, not necessarily the way that it looks. Um, you know, although that's cons- there's a consistent look and feel in our hotels, but um, but really tapped into um, to what's local and locally relevant. And I think really, um, you know, embraced by the local community as as something that they're proud of that you know a company came in and really took the time to get to know the community and to know the building and know the people um i think that's that's 
you know, pretty phenomenal um, aspiration. When we spoke the last time, what I thought was also really interesting about your, your story is how you, you, you identify the right associates, team members that are from the local community and not just from the local community. But from what I understand, uh, you're looking for those that understand the community really well. Uh, can, can you speak to how, what is the ideal um, uh, team member look like for you to maintain the brand and the values? Yeah, we... So we, we've done a lot of work around this, Adam. We, we really started to dig in and to say, okay, who is the ideal Make Ready team member? And, you know, we came to pretty quick. It's probably not the traditional, you know, Hilton or Hyatt or Marriott employee that wants to be given a set of rules to play by and here you go, here's your SOPs. It's probably someone more entrepreneurial, someone who's a little bit more into... Um, in charge of their own destiny, you know, someone who's probably more into art and design and music. And um, so we really started to tap into, so so where do we find those people? And, and, you know, I always use, you know, one person, I was like, okay, if Justin is our ideal employee, like, where does Justin hang out? What is What does he do in his off time? Um, you know, what is it, what interests him? What's, a, you know, what's his lifestyle? Um, and then when we start to dig into that, it really sets the foundation of, okay, so where would I find another Justin? And so with Justin, um, and and I, I always say that, you know, we probably, Justin knows the coolest coffee shops in every city. You know, Justin probably knows the music festivals that are happening, um, where the local art shows are where the local farmers markets are. So we can really start to dig in of like, where do we find Justin? And then if you take it a step further, okay, if we hire Justin, what would an onboarding experience look like? Well, one, what would a job fair look like? So, you know, probably not in a ballroom with a bunch of people there. It might be that we just rent out a coffee shop for the day and say, hey, Justin, why don't you come in? We'd love to have a coffee and talk about careers in the community and see if there's something that might interest you. Um, you know, and, and if we hire Justin, what would that onboarding look like? It probably wouldn't be a traditional orientation when you're sitting in a room for six hours going through 100 PowerPoint slides. That's probably not of interest to Justin. I, I'm, picture, I'm picturing a Justin right now. I may even, I could probably talk about the clothes that Justin is wearing based on your description. Exactly. Spot on. Exactly. So I think it's really kind of, and then what would recognition look like? You know, is, is Justin someone who wants to be an employee of the month and have a parking space, you know, or, or whatever? Or is Justin really, you know, want to, you know, be rewarded by curating, you know, going to a curated experience where we have, um, you know, he can go to a concert or he can go to an art festival or, or whatever it is. So, you know, it's it's really changing everything and deep diving into um, knowing who Justin is and then curating our experience. Be, because I, I think, you know, in a, a previous conversation we had is that, you know, I can't compete with the Hiltons and the Marriott's and the Hyatt's and, and you know, their, you know, $6 million recruiting budget and their, you know, in all of that. But if I do this right, they can't compete with me either. And I think that's, you know, and I, not that I look at them as, as competition, but that we really have a point of distinction um, that their ideal employee might look different than ours. 
For sure, and it's interesting that you, you say that, that they can't compete with you because we, we've seen plenty of study. I haven't seen any post-COVID, but pre-COVID where um, the next generation would take a position in a job that has, offers meaning and purpose over one that pays more, right? Often it's about finding that, that, that right connection with the organization, what they stand for. But then before we continue talking about Justin's journey, I want to kind of focus us or, or zoom out for a minute and then zoom back in. As Justin onboards, and you think about the performance of that specific location right, where Justin is going to work, at the highest level, how do you think about your key metrics of success and goals that Justin will contribute to? Well, I, I think in the hotel industry, it's, it's, it's fairly simple, right? I mean, our guests give us constant feedback. And so, you know, I, I think you know, part of it is, are we asking our guests the right questions and not did they enjoy their stay, but did they find their stay uniquely make ready? Um, you know, did they find their, the team members that they interacted with, did they find them knowledgeable about the local activities in the area? Um, you know, so I think for us, you know, the feedback, fortunately or unfortunately, is all over social media, whether it's TripAdvisor or our own guest comment scores. So, I think that's definitely one. And I think the other one is really from a financial aspect because, you know, when you create something special, um, people are willing to pay for it. And, and um, you know, Ian Schrager would always say that, that if you, um, you, you know, people will pay more for a, an experience than they'll pay for a product or a service. And, you know, a lot of hotels, the best you can offer is that they have a good product and provide a great service. Um, but that missing element is, did you provide a great experience? And I think um, that's where we're really where we focus. Makes sense. So let's just look at satisfaction with the experience as the kind of as the measurement for the industry. And let's ask the question of what people initiatives, right, that you as an organization launch in order to have Justin's support you reaching that goal. And quick clarification, I get this question after the last couple episodes, people initiatives versus people activities. Activities are one time. Activities are your town hall. Activities are a video. What we're talking about as in people initiatives is when you pick a very specific goal of the organization and you measure the impact of your initiatives against that goal. So Dan, walk me through some of the initiatives, the people initiatives that you launch in order to impact satisfaction. Yeah, so I think one of the things we launched is a, um, or that we're in the process of launching now is an internal communication platform um, in, you know, in the, in the old days, you know, you could only communicate to people that sat in front of a computer and in the hotel industry, um, you know, only about 15 to 20% of our team members are actually sitting in front of a computer. The rest of them are out, you know, being a server or, um, a cook or, or a bellman. And, um, however, we figured out that, um, about 99% of them do have their smartphone in their pocket. And, um, and they're looking at it anyhow. So um, we could you know, provide some information on there and really leverage the communication because you know, being in the corporate office as a you know, senior vice president, I don't always get the opportunity to talk to a room attendant in Savannah. Um, and I don't always have the opportunity for them to be able to communicate to me. So having this internal communication platform that you know, I can talk to everyone in the company and let them know that we're, um, you know, we're 
transitioning a new hotel. And if you're interested in moving to Houston, we're going to have some opportunities for you. Um, currently, um, we can only communicate to, to people on email in hopes that they communicate it, you know, through the rest of the hotel. Um, you know, so I think that's one of the, the things that we're doing is a communication platform. Um, the other one is a recognition platform. And um, I talked about it a little bit. It's um, we partnered with a company called Bucket List, and we're um, what we're doing is creating curated experiences um, that team members can earn tokens, and then those tokens go to purchase curated experiences in their their city. So it really, you know, reinforces our brand and our culture about experiences and and creating great experiences and knowing great experiences in the community. Um, and in giving you know everyone in the in the company an opportunity to experience those. Awesome. So we're talking about communications and recognition, and and staying true to the name of the podcast, the future of people initiatives. I'm I'm going to kind of shift our conversation, and and if it's present state, great. But but for most conversations, I'm having these questions kind of take us into the future state. When we think about culture, when we think about purpose values activation we think about in the context of satisfaction with the experience and we're focused on justin to make it really really uh, hyper relevant so the question becomes when you are communicating with within the team how far down with in terms of the audiences or how relevant do you make your communication is it for justin is it for justin's in that entire hotel is it associates versus managers how do you think about that? And you know, Dan, that I th- start to have started to think like a marketer um, in some respect for this industry. So I start to get curious about how segmented do we get from our communication perspective? Well, I mean, honestly, I think if you can't communicate with everyone in your organization, then you need to kind of take a look at what you're doing because um, how do you expect to achieve something if they if you're not able to communicate to them? So, you know, I. I I think one of the things I'm very cognizant of is, is that I'm in a very diverse industry of, of you know, people that have English as a second language that um, in, and even conceptually, things like insurance. How do you communicate an insurance plan to someone, you know, from Haiti who's never had an insurance plan before, doesn't even know what that is? And then you're talking about primary care physicians. So, you know, I, I think... For me, the communication is is really about tapping into um, how do I communicate with all levels of the organization um, and how do we do it in a way that makes sense to them. Um, And so when I talked about our internal communication platform, um, there's about 100 different language preferences on there and you can set the language preference on there so that um, no matter who you are in our organization, I think the biggest thing is I always filter my communications through the lens of our guiding principles. And so is what I'm communicating thoughtful? Um, is it light? Is it people over process? Or am I communicating a process out instead of communicating the effect that it has on people? So um, that mentor of mine that I said in the beginning that was so inspirational is she reminds me every time I speak to her that everything communicates. 
speaking of everything communicating, uh, those that are listening, it's on the podcast, but uh, we are currently on Zoom as we're having this conversation. So we have the visual and I see in the background, Dan, right behind you, those are the values right there. Intentional or, or, or not, it, it's, uh, it looks like you're, you're living, you're living the principles that you preach. Um, Dan, where, where I want to touch you next before talking about effectiveness is um, the current mindset, right? So you mentioned they're all on smartphones. And Justin's, the picture that you drew from me would be younger, probably on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, involved with music and art. Are you seeing this technology and electronics? Do you, do you see addictions? Do you see distractions from work? How are you dealing with this you know, uh, uh, noise that is constant now and, and ever with us in our pockets? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it is twofold, right? I, um, you know, f- fortunately for the majority of our employees, if they don't have that much time while they're at work, but I do know, um, you know, that when they're off work that there, there are issues. And I think, you know, mental health, mental health and wellness has... Um, has kind of taken the seat that it should have always had at the table, but I think you know a lot of companies have not, um, and so we're we're really focused on um, on our employee assistance program. We're really you know that letting people know that there's help and there's there's um, resources that are available that um, that are company paid that we you know want to help you, um, and so you know I think during the 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 workday we don't see it as much um, if. If people have that much time on their hands, we're doing something wrong on a bigger level that they um, that they're not busy. Um, but but I do understand that in you know in people's personal life or when they're not there that they you know there's addiction issues whether it's to a phone or to a substance and and making sure that you're a company that really you know cares about your employees uh, and providing them resources if they if they are struggling with something like that. Absolutely. I think about electronics, but you're absolutely right. Addictions of all kinds, whether it's, you know, um, and there's so much for us to be concerned about today than maybe we did, we were concerned about pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, so, so Dan, what I'd like to next is to think about uh, effectiveness. How do you measure effectiveness? And, and when I say how do you, again, the future state is great. How would you? All, all, all things being possible, measure effectiveness of your communications. Again, when your focus is on satisfaction as the goal of the business, while bringing about values of the organization. Yeah, it's interesting because even you know something that I have strong opinions around satisfaction versus engagement, and um, because people can be satisfied but not engaged. Um, and they can be engaged without being satisfied. So I think they're, they're two different things. So for me, it's really about engagement because, um, you know, the difference between a, a um, good service and a great experience is an employee who cares and who's engaged. Um, and so for me, the way that we measure that is there's several ways. We, you know, we talked about the guest facing way. Um, you know, I would say we, we, there, there's four aspects that we measure, um, and one is um, to our owners, and you know, are we providing, um, you know, a return on their investment? Are we um, being profitable and and um, you know, hitting our budgets or exceeding our budgets? I think the other one is is obviously to our guests, 
Um, are we providing the experience that we um, are stating that we provide and are we holding true to that? Uh, I think the, you know, the next one is to our team members. Are we providing an engaging environment and do we, do we lead by what we um, preach? And am I, you know, using our guiding principles to guide our decisions um, when it comes to our people? And are we good neighbors in the community? And I think those four pillars each have their own way of measuring it. Um, and I think, you know, success of one of those can't come at the expense of another one of those. And I think it's, um, you know, it's really keeping the scorecard of all four of those, you know, our owners, our guests, our team members, and our communities to, um, you know, keep those all in check. Um, and, you know, if, if, the owners are really happy. There's a there's a possibility that the team members aren't so happy because they're either working too hard or they're not getting paid enough, and and vice versa. If the employees are really happy and you know, but the the owners aren't making a return on their investment, they're not going to be happy. And so you can't really do one at the sake of another one. But it is a you know a balancing act to ensure that we're providing a great experience for all four. When everything is working, it's synergistic. Everybody wins. Exactly. Um, just as you were describing Justin and as you were describing the different stakeholders, I was just thinking, is there a story that you can share of Justin? It maybe is a real story, maybe a story that you model, because all I can think about if Justin has so much local information about events and, and is part of the events and here's someone that's coming in with a question, hey, what would you do? We have a Saturday evening open. Justin probably starts to talk more than, than, the, than the other person may want to hear because he's so excited. But then I'd, I'd love to hear a story. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's so many of those um, stories that I've had in, in my experiences, but I think it's, it's really exactly what you said. I think, you know, I'll, I'll tell you my favorite story and, and I'll, I'll try not to get emotional telling the story, but we, we did this um, exercise years ago um, and it was really rating ourselves on our core values. And so we did this whole process. And one day, Adam, you and I will sit down and write a book about it because it was absolutely amazing. Um, Let's do it. But we, um, so we, we, we rated ourselves on our values and we um, went through how attentive, how fun, how friendly, um, how accountable. And so one of the things, so what we did is for, there were seven core values. So the next seven weeks, we took a core value. I would break the, our leadership team into breakout groups, we would deep dive into what we could do to be more of that core value. And so one of the core values was attentive. And we said, what can we do to be more attentive? So one of the groups came up with, well, if we got the name of every team member who got at least 10 guest names, the purpose of their visit and where they were from, we would you know, do a raffle and we'll give away some iPads and iPods and, and stuff. And, um, you know, it came back the next week and there was, you know, 30, 30 employees. And so we're sitting there going, wow, this is amazing. That means 300 of our guests, at least, were engaged um, with our employees on where they were from and the purpose of their visit. And we thought, this is, this is amazing. And along comes this guy a couple weeks later. His name's Cameron. And Cameron was a spa attendant or a spa therapist. And Cameron came and said, hey, Dan, can I talk to you guys? And we're just like, sure, what's, what's going on, Cameron? And he said, well, I heard about that thing that you guys did with the guest names and stuff. And 
He said, I hope you don't mind, but I kind of did my own thing with it. And we're like, that's, that's awesome. What did you do, Cameron? And he said, you know, well, when the spa is slow, we go around the pool and we give complimentary hand and foot massages and we talk about the services that we offer at the, at the spa. And he said, so when I'm doing their foot massage, I ask them to, you know, I hand them a piece of paper and a pencil and I ask them to write down the, their name. And if they had one wish, what would it be? And he said, so I've kind of collected these things. And he took out this stack of papers and we saw all of these guest names with all of their wishes on it. And a light bulb went off. And we said, you know, we can go from guest service to guest experience to dream fulfillment. And we started looking at ways that we could make those wishes come true. And um, so we did all kinds of crazy, fun, you know, wishes. But there was one... We had a repeat guest that used to come to the hotel all the time, and he was in a car accident. He had been paralyzed from the waist down. So um, he always came down with his caretaker and, and, a, and a guest, and he, um, all three of them wrote on their paper that they wished that Marcos would be able to walk again. And so Cameron comes to me, and he's like, Dan, what do we do with this? This is, you know, this is heavy. And so we, you know, we thought about it, and... Um, we actually made a donation to the Christopher Reeves Foundation in Marcos's name and then presented it to him at checkout saying in hopes that we can fulfill your wish, um, we've made a, a donation to Christopher Reeves Foundation. Well, Marcos just broke down crying. He said, this is the nicest thing someone's ever done for me. And, um, and so, you know, when you talk about the ability to really touch someone on a, on a huge level, is just about someone being engaged. And, you know, Cameron was so engaged, um, you know, took this, and, and so we did this core values exercise. That's why I said I could write a book about it because we, we deep dived into it afterwards and said, um, you know, what were our takeaways? And that the last week we actually rated ourselves on our core values again. And we actually scored lower than we did before we started. And we're sitting there scratching our heads going, we did some really amazing things here. And um, what we were kind of came to the conclusion is that we used to think on a scale of one to five that this was a five. We realized that this is a five. We, we raised the, the level on what we thought was possible um, to be attentive. We didn't know we had it in us to be that attentive or that fun or that friendly. So I think that's it. That's an experience that really inspires me of, um, you know, when you get into that level of people who are that engaged and care about what we're doing, um, you can really, you know, not to sound hokey, but you can change lives. It's, it's not hokey. You change that life, right? And sometimes it's something that profound and, and oftentimes it could be something so much smaller, so much smaller. Yeah. That moment is transformational for their day. That impacts the way they're with their family or the way they show up for work. It often these little things have a tendency to have big impact um, on us. Dan, that, that, that's an extraordinary story. It's it's really amazing, and I think um, you you know you think of our small financial investment, and and Cameron's job is he became the Delano genie, and his job was to fulfill wishes, and. Um, you know, you think of that investment that we made, but 
you know, I can guarantee you that Marcos never stayed at another hotel when he came to Miami. And I guarantee you the story that I told you has been repeated over 10,000 times since we did it. So what did that really cost us? You know, the cost was in creating an environment for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, you 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 can do you, you can be good and do well. It, it it could all be part of one goal. Um, but I also heard the way you described that you have redefined the bar, right? By through, through some of these actions, and that's just fascinating reflection. I'm just thinking about, you know, when you have that kind of a bar that you've set, how do you go beyond? Um, Dan, as we wrap up, and someone is listening in, is thinking about culture innovation specifically around hospitality, perhaps. Uh, how can you think about maybe way four or five? If you were to go into the future and broad strokes, broad strokes, what do you think the future of people initiatives will be in order to continue to improve satisfaction and engagement within hospitality? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is um, not thinking that you have the answer sitting in the corporate office, um, and so I would I would. I think in the future, um, you know, it, it's really about flattening an organization and getting out and asking the people what they want, um, you know, being engaged with the team and creating a two-way dialogue, uh, which I think has m- been missing in a lot of organizations, that it's a one-way communication down, um, but not really a very effective way of communicating back up. And that internal communication platform that I was mentioning earlier um, gives team members the ability to send a message to their president and CEO. It gives them the ability to communicate directly with me um, that they wouldn't have had in the past. And so I think really the wave of the future is how do you leverage that technology um, in a personalized way that not only can I communicate with the room attendant, but I can communicate with a room attendant in their language. So I can speak to someone in Creole and, uh, or in Spanish in a different part of the country um, in a language that they understand. I, I think that technology has never existed before. Mm-hmm. That, that sense of connection, that I, I mean something. I'm not just a number. This isn't a, just another email that's been sent out to a thousand like me. Correct. It, and it's really no. personalized and it's um, it, that people get to, to know, um, you know, Dan and not our senior vice president of people and culture. Um, you know, and I think those it sometimes are two different things. And I try to be true to, um, to both of those uh, in and out of work that I'm true to who, who Dan is. And, and letting people know that regardless of where they are in the organization. And it doesn't matter whether I'm at a, uh, my executive leadership team meeting or I'm you know, in a meeting with the, um, with the housekeepers, that they're going to get that same Dan. Oh, that opens up a whole other conversation for another podcast because Dan, like the way you're thinking about it is so, so spot on and brilliant. It's, you know, most of us, personal, professional, there's a wall, there's a transformation, there's a cognitive dissonance. You, you pick the term, we're different. We're different. Entirely different sometimes to a degree that we need a transition time. Plenty of folks talk about, hey, where's my hour commute that I used to have? 
right? To transform back, whether it's listening to music or podcasts or what have you. So the fact that you bring the same then in both environments speaks to 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 the kind of work you do and, and your belief in culture. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. I heard you talk about a book that we're going to write together. I, I may just take you up on it then. This has been a joy. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate it and, and love the work you're doing. All right. Bye-bye.